Memorial Day Sunday. You know, I was thinking this week uh, about what we talked about last week, and I remembered that I had mentioned to you all that it had been my grandfather's 89th birthday, but I got a couple of messages and emails, and I realized that I forgot to mention one very important birthday that happened on May 13th, and that was my surrogate father. You people always talk about they have fathers and ministries and these sorts of things, but I have a surrogate father whose name is I'm going to call him the good Reverend Dr. Steve Lynn Morris, also known as Stevie Wonder. And I call him my surrogate father because when I was growing up, my father didn't live in the house with us. But I thought that they looked alike. Same complexion, same big afro with the sideburns. And my father also sang a lot. And so I would listen to Stevie Wonder's uh, songs and sing them. And, 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 and I just all grew to love Stevie Wonder. So I wanted to mentioned that his birthday has passed because he's meant so much to our community and to our music world, to our social justice world, his role in uh, Dr. Martin Luther King's birthday and just so much. So now he is a bona fide elder at 70 years old. So let's wish him a happy belated birthday. Well, today is the Sunday before Memorial Day. And today I want to talk about the imp- some of this religious and cultural aspects of Memorial Day. I was doing some research on Memorial Day, and I actually realized that I celebrate Memorial Day incorrectly. When I was growing up, Memorial Day was an important holiday for my family. I grew up in D.C., and we would drive down to the country, is what we called it, in Virginia, which was less than an hour's drive away. But we would go down, and my family has a family homestead with you know, a lot of acres, and in the back, we had a family cemetery and it would take some preparation to get there after the winter and after things had been overgrown and no one had been down there. So usually my uncles or my cousins or someone would take the tractor out there and clear the way. And then we would all walk down and clear the graves, visit with the graves. And what I loved about it is that we would talk about our relatives who had passed away and would it bring up memories and it made them feel like they were with us. Now, of course, Memorial Day is supposed to be about honoring soldiers. And in our family, we had people who had served in the Civil War, World War One, World War Two, Vietnam, and they all had the government issued tombstones. But in my mind, I began to conflate Memorial Day with not only honoring soldiers, but honoring all of our ancestors and all of our relatives. And in fact, that is how I still celebrate it. So even though that's not 100% the way that is intended to uh, observe it, that is the way that I observe it. And it often reminds me of a scripture that I'm a big fan of. It's from Second Timothy 4. Uh, from the Apostle Paul, and he's speaking to young Timothy, and he says, As for me, I am already being poured out as a libation, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. From now on, there is reserved for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. And the reason I love this Scripture, and I often uh, reference it in 
and, and funerals or in occasions at, at family reunions and things like that when we're visiting the, uh, the family graveyard is because Paul references a tradition. He says, I'm already being poured out as a libation. And I also always point to the fact that in the movie Cooley High, for those of you who've seen it, there's this famous scene where uh, Preach is pouring out, one of the main characters is pouring out some liquor. And he said, this is for the brothers who ain't here. And everybody gets mad at him. But this is an African tradition where people would pour out a libation, pour out a strong drink in honor of their ancestors. And what they would do is they would pour it out and they would say the name of the ancestor. And the idea is that in saying that ancestor's name, you're conjuring up the spirit or you're, you're tapping into some of their power. So, an example may be, you know, say you're cooking and you say, oh, no, I'm going to pull on my grandmama's recipe for that. Or you're about to go do something and you may call on a certain ancestors. Lord, I need Aunt Mamie to be in there with me today. And you're poor, you're conjuring up that person's spirit or some of their characteristics. And in a way, we don't think about this, but we do it even in our religion, because when we call on the name of Jesus, we are really calling on everything that Jesus stood for righteousness is what usually what I, uh, I I focus on justice, and so it's something that we do every Sunday, every day when we call on that name, and it's really something that is embedded in our African tradition. And actually, in doing some research on uh, Memorial Day, I came across an article that said that Memorial Day was originally implemented to honor the people who had died, the soldiers who had died in the Civil War. But interestingly, it says the first Memorial Day is believed to have been observed by emancipated slaves in South Carolina who were honoring Union soldiers who had died in war. And I really think that that is so fitting, given that ancestor reverence is such a part of uh, African culture. Now, in that vein, we are blessed today because we have an expert who knows way more about this stuff than I do, Dr. Tiffany Pogue. She is going to be talking to us about Memorial Day and uh, all of these kind of ancestral things, and we will hear from her in just a moment. I needed a lawyer, and my good friend told me, call Kim. I said, call Kim? She said, yeah, girl, trust me on this one. Call Kim Jones at 667-CALL-KIM. And you know what? I did, and she helped me. If you've been in an accident and you've been injured, or if you don't know where else to turn and you need someone you can trust, I highly advise you to call attorney Kim Jones at 667-CALL-KIM. If she can't help you, then she will definitely find someone who can. If you need a lawyer you can trust, call Kim. That's right, dial 667-CALL-KIM. That's 667-225-5546. 667-CALL-KIM. Or visit her website at www.callkimjones.com. That's 667-CALL-KIM. Trust me on this one. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to the Father in heaven. Is your light shining? This is Halo, hosted by Reverend Kimberly Payton Jones. Join us and let your light shine.
Good morning, Dr. Pogue. Are you on with us? I am. Good morning. Good morning. I'm going to call you by your official title, Dr. Tiffany Pogue. How are you today? <laughs> I'm okay. Tiffany is just fine. <laughs> great, great. Well, thank you so much uh, for being with us this morning. I wanted you to come on based on some of our conversations and interactions and the teachings that I know that you do. So I definitely appreciate you agreeing to share your wealth of knowledge with us today. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. So just to begin, um, from your perspective, well, actually, can you give us a little background about, you know, your training and, and, and your education? Sure. Um, I am an assistant professor at Albany State University in teacher education. Um, but anybody who knows me personally is like, that's really what you do? Uh, my master's degree, though, is in African diaspora studies, and that's really where my heart is. Um, and so I study the ways that African people transmit their culture to their children. Wonderful. So I don't know if you heard the intro and I talked a little bit about how I found out Memorial Day, you know, was started by former slaves. And I thought that was so interesting. It was a new tidbit of information for me, but it may have been something that other people know about. But based on your studies and your experience, what do you think the significance of Memorial Day is in our culture? Well, I wanted to start off by saying you had it right. I don't want you to think you were incorrect. You were right the way you understood it. Um, Because it's important for us to know that what was institutionalized in 1865 by the formerly enslaved is representative of how the culture treats death, all right? So what your family was doing isn't aligned with what those people were doing. Okay. It was less about them being soldiers and much more about this is how we honor our dead, mm-hmm. right? So your family had it spot on. Well, your family had it spot on. We do know May 1st, 1865 is the first evidence of a celebration that we now call Memorial Day. And over 11,000 people, 3,000 school-aged black children included, um, met to lay wreaths on the tombs of the deceased Union soldiers that had fought during the Civil War. This happened in South Carolina, as you mentioned. And it really was about giving honor and respect to these people and what they sacrificed um, to free or to liberate black folk. It wasn't until 1868, three years later, that the first national celebration happens in Arlington Cemetery. So like it happens many times in black history, what started as an original black cultural practice was appropriated, and many of us now don't have memory of those original celebrations, right? Um, But all of it is evidence of how black folk culturally situate themselves within their family line. And what we believe happens to us when we get here. You know, it's so interesting that you say that because I did not know that and that is news to me. But it's one of the things that I feel like happens so much where so much is really hiding in plain sight, if you will. So I'm sure my family's not the only family that did this on Memorial Day. But, you know, we carry on with these traditions with not necessarily even knowing how they have been appropriated. Right, right. Um, one of my elders likes to tell the story. Uh, he's a little bit of a trickster. But he told us that he went to interview this lady one time about 
food tradition. And she was cooking a ham, and he saw her cut the ends off of the ham before he before she put it in the oven. So he asked her, you know, can you tell me why you cut the ends off the ham? And she said, well, I don't know. You know, I, that's how my mother always did it, so that's how I do it. And he said, well, can I talk to your mom? You know, can we figure out? And she said, sure. My mom's in the other room. Let me go get her. The mom comes in. He asked the mom, you know, when you cook your ham, why do you cut the ends off before you put it in the oven? And she said, I don't know. You know, that's just how my mother did it. The, luckily, the grandmother was still living, so they called the grandmother on the phone to figure out why she cut the ends off the hand. And he says that the lady, the little old lady told him, well, baby, that's because my pan isn't big enough. <laughs> so all these years, right, the family had been wasting meat because of a tradition they didn't understand. Wow. And I think for many black people, we practice these traditions that we've seen in our family, and we don't necessarily understand the roots of them. That doesn't mean that um, we're completely ignorant. What it means is that our culture is tenacious. Mm-hmm. It's strong, and it endures, even when we um, don't understand. Now, the responsibility for that um, lies with those of us who do know to share with the younger ones why we do it so they're not wasting meat. Oh, wow. Wow, that's so powerful. I just want you to know that you have blessed me because I was sitting up here lamenting. I do a um, a devotional ministry, and I had an assignment for the meeting for people to share a story or, or something to honor uh, someone who's passed away. And I was like, I have, I'm misdirecting these people and have people celebrating or observing Memorial Day incorrectly. So thank you so much. I, I really do feel ecstatic that you have made that clarification for me. So with that, um, can you share from, you know, your perspective, the importance of maintaining this connection to our ancestors, you know, maintaining these traditions, even ones that we may not understand? Right. I think it's, um, Marimba Ani has a wonderful book called Let the Circle Be Unbroken. Um, And it's a short, easy read for those who may be interested in looking for that text. But in it, she talks about when we practice the traditions of our ancestors, we have the opportunity, as you mentioned earlier, to tap into the strength that they had. There is something about knowing that you come from people that have contributed good things to this life, right? There's also a sense of strength that comes from knowing that despite adversity, your people withstood every attempt to destroy them. Right. So when we're able to tap into that strength, we're able to, to notice for ourselves how great our potential is. And then it's important for us to remember that begat, the word begat, which tells us about lineage, is mentioned over 139 times in the Bible. Wow. It's important. Like, it's important. It's in the scripture that people paid attention to who you came from mm-hmm. because it gave a clue as to who you would be. And for many of us in the African diaspora, we're disconnected somewhat from knowledge of that excellence. The psychologist Naeem Akbar talks about a legacy of competence, that there is power in knowing that your people contributed things of value to this earth. And the more we can tap into that, then the greater we know we can be. And I, I just think about, you know, my father's a Baptist minister. I don't know if you knew that. My father's a Baptist mm-hmm. minister. He's, in fact, he's preaching right now <laughs> on Zoom. <laughs> but he, um, 
so I grew up in the Southern Black Church, Baptist Church. Mm-hmm. And I remember old-time devotion where the deacon would come up to the front of the church and get on his knee and pray at the, in, in front of a chair, right? And I remember almost every prayer had in it, God of Abraham, Isaac, yes. and Jacob, do for me what you did for them. Mm. That's why we practice these traditions, because it is an acknowledgement that God took care of our people for generations before us, mm. And God is most willing to take care of us now. Right? It's, it's an acknowledgement of that everlasting power and grace and God's authority over our destiny. You know, this is getting off a topic a little bit, but I had this book that I was supposed to read in seminary and I never got around to reading it. And so I am reading it now and it's called How Africa Shaped the Christian Mind. And when you talk about things you know how the old deacons would mention you know we we, you know we say these things you know that we say well Isaac Abraham we say this stuff and it almost becomes something that we say just by habit and and don't Mm -hmm. really understand it but again that's one of those examples where or when you talk about the bible and how you know you turn to a book in the bible and it's like three or four pages filled with names and lineage And, and oftentimes we skip over that Mm-hmm. But it to me again, that's one of the things that's hiding in plain sight. Particularly when we talk about Christianity, and a lot of our people who turn away from Christianity because they say it's a white man's religion, or they feel like it's not um, reflective of their culture. And I feel like it's something that hides in plain sight of how Afrocentric Christianity is. Oh, definitely, definitely. Uh, you know. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, oh no, I go I want you to speak. You know more about this than I do. <laughs> the very first African spiritual celebration or ceremony I, I went to, it was in a comb. And um I remember being so afraid because again, I, I you know, I grew up in the Southern Baptist Church mm-hmm. and anything that's not quote unquote Christian has to be devil worship. Right. So part of me is um the academic in me is very curious, very interested about witnessing this African traditional ceremony. But there is another part of me that has been socialized by Hollywood that has me very afraid of what I'm about to see. And the ceremony starts, and a man comes to the middle of a circle. Uh, There were women on one side of the circle, men on the other side of the circle, and then slowly, uh, clockwise, they go around him, shaking his hand. Mm -hmm. And then when the circle is completed, he starts pouring libation and, and praying. And all of a sudden, I'm like, this is devotion. Yes. This is what happens every Sunday morning at 11 o'clock at my daddy's church. Right hand of fellowship. Right. And, and the shared energy of prayer. Yeah. Right? Um, and so Marimba Ani writes about the Asili, which is, she calls it the cultural seed, that there is something inside of us. Um, that recognizes truth when we can shed all that propaganda that Hollywood gives us, um, particularly around our spiritual traditions. It's just, it, it, when people ask me, you know, how did you, how, how, did, how are you now practicing these traditional religions when you grew up in them? I'm like, because it's the same thing mm-hmm. at its core, right? There's respect for a creator. There's respect for nature. There's respect for people. All of the things that Christianity has embedded within it, it's not different. 
right? And I think people who um, downplay Christianity because it's, quote, unquote, the white man's religion, or people that downplay traditional African spirituality because it's, quote, unquote, witchcraft, both of them are confused about the other mm. because they are two sides of the same coin. In fact, there is a church in Savannah, Georgia. For those of us in Georgia, you probably have heard this. Um, the first black church in the United States. It actually started in Silver Bluff, um, South Carolina, but it moved to Savannah. So the first black church in the United States is First African Baptist Church, not far from the Savannah River. In that church, which was built by the hands of enslaved people at night, so they would work the fields during the day and then build this church at night. It's still standing. It's still in operation. And in that church, there are African symbols. Congolese cosmograms, to be specific, embedded in the floorboards of the basement. To me, that is evidence that our ancestors, though they practiced Christianity, understood that God is bigger than any single box. Mm. And they accepted their own traditions and simply acclimated Christianity to what they needed. It's a beautiful historical monument to how universal our faith can be. Um, and so if we're talking about ancestors, I just want us to think about First African as a model for what's possible. Wow. I have seen it. Whenever I go to Savannah, I go by it, and I've even wanted to go there for worship when I've been there on Sunday, and I haven't made it in, but I have to definitely make Please. that a priority of mine. So... Um, with that being said, can you maybe talk a little bit more about some of the African spiritual practices that are that that are embedded in Christianity that we may not notice? Sure, just like the wearing of white. So when I grew up, I, my mother was Methodist, so I have a little bit of Methodist knowledge, right? Mm-hmm. My mother was Methodist, my father was Baptist, but one thing I do know is when communion is is done, women are dressed in white. And their head is covered. Well, those of us who are familiar with the African traditions as they manifest in the diaspora know that when any spiritual ceremony is being undertaken, people are primarily dressed in white, women have their head covered, and they're responsible for, for providing the food, right, for nurturing the community through food. That kind of thing, we have grown, those of us who grew up in the church just Sunday morning is first Sunday the women got on white. We don't even think about where that may have come from, but it is a diasporic tradition. Like I said, the calling of names, it's not a coincidence that in most black families in the South there is a Bible somewhere Mm -hmm. that has generations of names upon generations of names written in it. Right? Right? So that's that 139 times in the Bible we get. We do the same things. There is... um, there is a collection of narratives from um, the 19th century collected from formerly enslaved um, people called God Struck Me Dead. And what that is a collection of slave narratives, and those narratives all center around that person's individual conversion story. Mm. How did you become Christian, right? So the WPA interviewer is asking them, how did you become Christian? And what strikes me is that how African all of them are in the story. There's almost always water involved. Mm-hmm. You can't practice traditional African religions without water. I'm about to jump up out this chair because 
I, when I got my call to ministry, accepted my call to ministry, it was on the banks of the Caribbean Ocean. But go ahead. <laughs> Listen, it's always with all of these people. There's always water involved. Either they're, like you said, near an ocean, like they're on the seacoast islands, or they're inland at a marsh or a pond. Mm-hmm. In fact, when I told you First African um, Baptist Church was started in South Carolina, it was founded next to a mill pond on a plantation. So water is almost always involved. And many of us who grew up in the Christian tradition think about the River Jordan, Mm -hmm. right, and the baptism there. But the stories are much older than that. You know, they they transcend Christianity. There's something spiritual and and sacred about being near water. And that's, in fact, the Congolese cosmograms that are in First African Baptist Church, the horizontal line represents water. Mm. So that, for me, is evidence that even when we don't have name for the tradition, when we don't have explicit memory of why these things are important, they remain important. You can't go to a a Sunday morning service on first Sunday and not see women in white. Wow. Right? So we do these things, and we do them without question. It's just time now for us to put name to it. Wow, wow. Our time is running short, but before we end, I do want you to, if you can, talk about the connections of the saints to uh, traditional, because, you know, that ties into ancestry and um, memorializing people. So if you can talk about the connections of the saints to our traditional African practices. Sure. Um, When people were enslaved, um, there was a need to, in many ways, mask our traditions. In most places, they were outlawed uh, under threat of death or worse, torture. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it became necessary for our ancestors to find ways to maintain their traditions in secrecy and in private. In their genius, though, they took these Catholic saints and looked at what they represented and simply assigned characteristics of the Orisha or of of the Loire to these individual saints. And so, for example, St. Barbara, when the Catholics um, represent her in art, she almost always has on red and white. She's sometimes pictured on a white horse. She often has a thunderbolt in her hand. Well, our ancestors look at that and they're like, oh, that's Shango. Shango, his colors are red and white. He is the, the Orisha of Thunder and Lightning. He is often represented on a white horse. Why wouldn't that be Shango? So now I can have this iconography of St. Barbara in my house, mm-hmm. and people will come in, and they won't, they won't threaten me because I'm, I'm worshiping Shango. They'll just see St. Barbara, and they're going about their business. Wow. Now, just like the ham, though, what often happened is that outsiders, not really people who actually practice the tradition, they were never confused that this was a masking process. The outsiders who may have been coming in to study them and to write about the traditions from the outside began to conflate the saints mm-hmm. with the Orisha and would write things like, oh, they're practicing Santeria, and they are, um, you know, they incorporate Catholic saint um, reverence into their traditions. That's not what was happening. That's an outsider telling the story. But for the, from the inside, these Africans understood the importance of secrecy in that given time period, and they simply made adjustments. It's, it's African genius. It's African genius. Wow. 
okay, Dr. Pogue, I mean, Tiffany, we are going to have to have you back on. Our time is running low, but would you please share with uh, our listeners how they can get in touch with you and how they can access some of this knowledge that you have? Sure. So my um, the best email address for me is drtip, that's Dr. Tip, at tellemtotoldyou.com. And I almost always answer my emails almost immediately because it comes to my phone. That's the best way to find me. I have some online courses about Introduction to Ancestral Reverence. I also have a master class online about uh, Sunday morning service and how that comes from our traditional African traditions. All of those things can be found on my website at www.tellemtotoldyou.com. Absolutely. So please check out her website. I love that website. Tell them Tip Told You. Thank you so much, Tiffany, for being on with us this morning. And I am going to have to implore for you to come back again. I'd love to. I had fun. Thank you so much. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening. This is Halo with Reverend Kimberly Payton Jones. And she would like to hear from you. So send her an email to kpj at kpjshine.org. That's kpj at kpjshine.org. Or give us a call at 800-550-HALO. That's 800-550-4256. Or visit us on social media at kpjshine. That's kpjshine. Come and be with us each Sunday at 11 a.m. on Halo, a conversation of inspiration for you, hosted by Reverend Kimberly Payton Jones. And let your light shine. WIGO AM 1570, Atlanta.